we got involved in this kind of work uh, about 11 years ago. And ever since, we had a, a roller coaster experience. Uh, actually, when I got married to my wife, I promised her that it won't be a regular kind of uh, uh, life. Uh, she, she was not get, getting to marry a regular physician, and I guess I kept my promise. Um, as we uh, were starting the work, we've been greatly encouraged by statements like these, the establishment of sanitariums for the care of the sick and the suffering is just as necessary in Europe as in America. And uh, establishment of sanitariums in the European countries. Uh, in, the, in this work, the most perplexing questions will arise. But from the light given me, institutions will be established which, though at first small, will by God's blessing become lar larger and stronger. And then in a letter in the uh, 1900s, letter 15, uh, Sister White writes, 25 years ago, the Lord revealed to me, so this happened in 1875, that the best way in which to reach the higher classes is through our sanitariums. These institutions are to be located away from the cities and are to be surrounded with land enough to enable fruit and produce to be grown. But if so, uh, somebody thinks that only rich people come to such a program or this program reaches just rich people, um, he might be wrong. This is a picture which I, I showed last year also. Uh, we have here, uh, we just happened to be in, a, in the same session, five mayors. One, one of him was a mayor from a major city in Romania. And um, looks like you want me? Oh, both. Okay. And then? Okay. So in this in this picture, you have uh, you have the five the five mayors, but. Uh, uh, we don't have only rich people coming to the program. And there is another uh, statement, sanitarium work is one of the most successful means of reaching all classes of people. <clears throat> the truth for this time, the third angel's message is to proclaim with loud voice as we approach the great final test. This test must come to the churches in connection with true medical missionary work. We, we were told in Loma Linda messages. And, um, I, uh, I just recently came across, uh, I was given some sermons by uh, Kellogg. He delivered them in uh, uh, 1893, and they were very interesting. I don't know how many of you read that material. Anyway, we, we have a piece of paper. All those who want to have that material, you just give the email and I'll, I'll send uh, uh, those materials to you. So don't, don't be afraid. It seems like at that time Kellogg was converted. At least this is what Sister Weiss, uh, White said about him. And uh, in the introduction to that material, I found this, uh, this statement written by those who put together uh, those, uh, uh, those materials. 
To employ a military analogy, it may be that we have made a mistake of trying to win the greatest war of all time by using only the Air Force. There is an appeal in that. Altitude gives safety and a de detachment from the mud and blood down below. But perhaps, in addition to the proclamations of those flying in the midst of heaven, we will find that victory is impossible without an army and boots on the ground. And it, just, it was just such an army that Kellogg was trying to mobilize. Uh, actually, I thought that uh, this is the situation just in Eastern Europe, where because the situation we had to camp ourselves uh, within the walls of our own church and kind of defend ourselves. And uh, that created a sort of artificial society club in which Adventists enjoy to be, you know, middle class, no smoking, uh, non-alcohol, and kind of, re you know, removed from, uh, from the problems of the real world. And, you know, it's very interesting to find that this is not only the experience of the uh, post-communist uh, society, but it looks like uh, this is something which the church deals even here in the United States. So I thought it, it was interesting, this, this idea, and the fact that Kellogg was a, really a visionary. Back then, more than 100 years ago, uh, he saw this and he proposed a plan. It, it will be nice to, to read that material. Um, and uh, the Dave Fiddler says that it was just such an army that Kellogg was trying to mobilize. So I hope by just uh, throwing in this statement, uh, I just set the stage for what we want to present. Uh, we want first to review the history of Hergelia. Actually, it's the, the review of God's providence uh, because the setting was not conducive at all. Actually, uh, almost everybody we talked to uh, no matter where they came from, outside the church or inside the church, uh, they thought that this is not going to work in Romania. It's an American model. Um, just on and on. This, the same, the same uh, uh, ideas we circulate in the United States about this kind of work we, we found in Romania. And so you, you will see God's providence, how he led uh, uh, step by step. And then on the second part, uh, and probably this will be the, in the second hour, we'll discuss about some uh, dynamics at Hergelia, some practical questions, and um, we, we will try to, to have some, some time or enough time for all the questions and to, to have this discussion after we present the material. And then uh, thirdly, we would like to uh, present some, some of the impacts, some of the results we have, both on the scientific end and also on the spiritual uh, human level. Um, because my, my sister is here with me, uh, she was involved in this project even before I got uh, born, she's older than me. Uh, I asked her to, to talk to us about the history of this project and uh, I will turn the mic to her right now.
it is very nice to be able to share with you. Uh, it became the focus of my life for many, many years. And it's wonderful to see that other people are interested in the sanitarium work. Um, it is so interesting that uh, medical missionary work works not just today, it worked always. It worked in Jesus' time, and it worked in the time when my father was uh, uh, in college. He was given the wrong medication, and he was uh, very sick, and a colleague from his class invited him home. He happened to be a Seventh-day Adventist, missionary-minded, medical missionary-minded. His parents gave him the book, Counselors on Diet and Food to Read. And uh, he followed the counselors, and he got well. And this uh, determined my father to become a Seventh-day Adventist. Uh, it is very difficult in Romania to change your religion from Orthodox Church, and he had his share of problems and difficulties, but he loved Jesus. He started reading the Bible, memorizing the Bible. Everything that was written in spirit of prophecy, he read. Of course, when he treasured this book, Councils on Diet and Food, and he was determined to read everything that was written by Ellen White, um, he will get up every morning, uh, one hour before uh, uh, his necessary time to get ready to go to work, and he will study the Bible and pray. This is how I remember my father. Um, I was small, and he always talked to us about Dr. Kellogg, about Better Creek, about um, a different way of diet and uh, nutrition and uh, healing the sick. And our home became like a small sanitarium. People that were in need, they knew there is an open, open door at our house. And uh, I remember that my father's uh, desire, big desire was to have a sanitarium in Romania. He prayed very much about this. And uh, he worked. He didn't wait for the opportunity, the doors to open, communists to fall. Uh, he started helping people, talking to people, and especially in our home. Um, I know that I wanted to be a physician very much. I was so interested in nutrition. Every physician I met or, uh, or pharmacist, I will ask questions, and people had no knowledge about um, nutrition. I'm so happy that uh, in my country now they started teaching nutrition and my brother is involved with this, this uh, great opportunity to influence how nutrition is going to be looked at in Romania. Um, communism was very powerful and when father was telling us that communism is going to fail, uh, it was kind of difficult to believe, but Father was a man of faith, and he knew from the prophecies that it's going to fall. And he prayed intensely that uh, God will open the doors for a sanitarium in Romania, and that uh, uh, his children will be involved with the sanitarium. And God answered his prayer because uh, uh, in his grace, God leaded us th this way to be involved with his work in Romania. Uh, 
it is so interesting that a small institution um, of um, the capacity of 50 patients um, has such a big impact on the whole country and Europe. Um, I am so amazed. We were so focused there. We have no idea that whole Europe knows about Hergelia. And then um, in the last years when we received many calls from many countries to help them to start the sanitarium, I was amazed how, how known this uh, small institution is all over Europe. We have patients from England, from Spain, France, Italy, Portugal, from everywhere. And we are very happy because uh, I don't know uh, if you know, I was so happy when I came across in the Spirit of Prophecy a statement where a sanitarium is called a citadel. And you know that Meridian Sabbath is called also citadel. And I believe now from, from experience that, that it is a citadel, it's a light that shines uh, everywhere. People are uh, calling Hergelia from the beginning. I remember the first session. This is a corner of heaven. And I was surprised because we, there just a few days passed and people start talking to us. This is a corner of heaven. I don't want to go home. I feel so good. I found something that I never found in this atmosphere, general atmosphere of Romania, this corner of heaven. And even now, I just came from Romania and I talk with some patients and they say, the time passes too fast here in Hergelia. We don't want to go home. It's already time to go home. It's like a corner of heaven. And um, I asked myself why they say that. And uh, one day, um, the director of a television, um, important television station from Romania came to our health center. Uh, his wife dragged him there and he was so happy uh, that he came. And in the last day, he shared with us that he was told about this atmosphere in Hergelia, kind of a specific atmosphere, but he was not, not believing this. It was difficult to believe. And he was so happy that he came. He had diabetes and other problems, and he felt much better. But what he said is very important. He said, I never believed or dreamed then in this general atmosphere in Romania is possible such a atmosphere like you have in Hercalia. So we ask ourselves, what is this atmosphere? <laughs> this atmosphere is unselfishness, is unconditional love. And we know that we are surrounded by darkness and what is there is just selfishness, just, uh, just Selfishness, I think it says it all. And to find such an atmosphere for the people is um, a shock in a way. He said that I wish so much that you will start many such institutions in Romania because I believe strongly the whole general atmosphere of selfishness, darkness in Romania is going to be changed if you do that. 
Thucydides was a non-believer. He was an Adventist. He was not an Adventist. Well, he was an agnostic and a big um, uh, a person accomplished materially and uh, professionally, but he had no happiness. And he found happiness in Helgelia, and he was so happy. He said, I know every corner of Romania. I know the atmosphere. It's in he, he realized that it's just God's doing that in this general atmosphere is possible such an atmosphere. So um, my father prayed very much. And I think that the first ingredient in uh, starting an institution, a sanitarium, is sacrifice. He was not waiting for communists to fall down in order to, to practice what he um, read in the spirit of prophecy and in the Bible. He started memorizing Daniel, Revelation, John, Isaiah, Psalms. He was very ardent. You know, when somebody comes from darkness to the light, they appreciate the light. Amen. And they know what is darkness. They know the difference. Many times, if Adventist is inherited, um, it's hard to know what is really what is darkness. But my father really appreciated what he and my mother. So my mother also he became an Adventist around 20 years old from Orthodox, and she appreciated the light. She was always talking to us, "What is there in the darkness?" Because we didn't have experience. So he started practicing all these rules. And medical missionary work is doing, not saying, not talking. It is practical work. It is sacrifice. And you know, in Isaiah 58, God is talking with us what is true religion, what God wants us, and also in Matthew 25, when he comes back, he is asking us if we really did medical missionary work. <laughs> Jesus was a medical missionary. So it involves sacrifice. And what I saw of my father, he started, our house was, was a sanitarium. People knew they have uh, some food. They know if they have problems, they can come and talk to my parents and uh, afterwards to us. And they knew that, that there is some hope. I, I remember growing up, my father was a man of faith. And no matter what problems I had, I went to him. And he always encouraged me with the promises from the Bible. And you know, that's his sanitarium work. There at the sanitarium, we received so many patients that have big problems. They have no hope. They don't know God. And when they come there, they, they are shocked by this unconditional love. And what's happening there is that we don't have to go and force them to listen, to talk with them about Jesus. They are the ones coming to us and begging us, please, we don't have enough time. Um, we can spend day and night talking because the interest is very high. They are helped with their problems, and they see this unconditional love, and that determines them to 
want to know more what is behind this, what is the motivation. Always the, we had a lady from United States. Um, she was a Jewish lady. She was a, a very accomplished lady. And she had some physical problems. And um, God really did a miracle. I remember I was at that time in, uh, here in the United States and I talked with my brother and he asked me to really pray because they have this lady. And she, God helped her to get better. But what happened, she was so interested. What is the motivation? She said she went so many places and this is so unique. And what is the motivation behind what we are doing? Mm -hmm. Why we are so kind and so nice? And, and she prayed her first prayer there at Hergelia. It was such a wonderful thing to happen. Um, another big ingredient um, is prayer. My father prayed very much. In a sanitarium setting, prayer is very, very important. Uh, we pray with the patients and we pray for the patients. So um, if you have questions about um, uh, sanitarium work um, related to what I said, please at the end, please feel free to ask me because I don't know, there is so much to be said that I don't know what is really the most important thing. I want to tell you that um, sacrifice, um, it was not easy. Here is my brother too. <laughs> it was not easy to start an institution like this. You don't know what to do. You have the vision and we had this vision. We thank our father because he implanted in us this vision. And this vision was very strong, but we had no idea how to go about it. And um, we prayed a lot. We, we didn't feel ready for this work. We felt totally unprepared, totally, uh, totally not ready for this work when the, the door opened for a sanitarium in Romania. I remember I tried so hard for one week to reach my family. I was witnessing on television People are, uh, were dying in Romania during this revolution in Coats, and um, I was not able. After one week, when finally I was able to go to reach my family, my father answered the phone, and my brother was there too, and uh, they said, Magdalena, now is the time. Uh, you will please help us to start a sanitarium. I felt very, very uh, unprepared for such a task. I thought, this is impossible. <laughs> well, you know, but vision is very important. If you have vision, I remember that when I, I just felt um, confused, like in a shock, what can I do? This is, is very uh, big, uh, big endeavor. And when I talked again with my father, my father said, Magdalena, did you manage to um, inquire about uh, uh, inviting your brother to come and specialize in preventive medicine? And I just said, Father, this is not so easy. And my father said, Magdalena, remember Esther, maybe for a task like this, God brought you to the United States. And if you don't help us, God will find somebody else. You know, those words 
I remember was that vision, like, like a fire came out. I felt that somehow, very interestingly. And from that moment, I never said no or I can't. I didn't know what is the next, next step, but praying God leadeth us. And this, is, this was our experience, my brother and, uh, um, and my experience, all the way. We, we never knew what is the next step, Amen. but we prayed because we knew we don't know. And we acknowledged that, and we felt like little children that God has to lead. And we were very much in prayer, asking God to lead us um, how we should go forward. And God did amazing things, and he leaded us. Um, when I go back there and I see, it's already, at first it was just a building, you noticed on the slides. Uh, now it's like a small community, and I'm so happy. And when I see all these patients coming, um, I strongly invite you to come to Hergelia and experience for yourself the atmosphere at the health center and um, the patients. I remember we had a lady um, visiting there for a while in Romania, and she became friends with Maria. Maria was um, the director of an orphanage in uh, the town of Prashov. She had about 100 children. She came there, she was very tired, tired. She was not an Adventist. She came to recuperate. And this lady from the United States uh, spent time with her. And you know, Maria was so open, so open in that atmosphere to listen. And can you imagine when she went back what an influence she had on 100 children? She started reading the book Education. And she, she started believing in God and believing um, what God requires of us. It was a wonderful blessing. This lady came back to the United States very blessed when she saw um, this miracle happened before her eyes and God using her in that way. I would like to, um, to tell you a few, a few situations there in Hergelia. It's about a general. He came to Hergelia, was a very proud man, high position. He was accomplished, he um, was wealthy, but he had no peace and his health was, was in, a, in a very bad condition. And when he came, there are so many barriers. A general is a general, he, I remember him. He was dressed in white and he was so straight and everybody was afraid to talk to him, um, a big authority. And he was, at first he was so shocked by our atmosphere, no cigarettes, no coffee, no meat, <laughs> no television, no newspapers that he wanted to leave. But there was a judge, a lady judge, that went through the same experience at the beginning, and she helped him to get over this uh, first step, and he stayed. You know what? This atmosphere of unselfish, la unse unselfish love that he encountered there in Hergelia um, is was contagious for him. He changed his attitude. <coughs> he started taking care and being interested in these other patients that were 
in human eyes nothing. I was there and I witnessed this. And you know, for me, this is very motivating and helps me, gives me the energy to go forward with this uh, work and be a support for my brother. Um, it, is, it is very interesting that he left Hergelia and I was besides these cancer patients and he called him after a few hours and he asked him, how are you doing? He was so interested in the health of other people. But a miracle happened with this man. This man, his health improved and he started being interested in religion, in Jesus Christ, um, in Christianity. He, I remember we had, um, we ha I had the students come and seeing him nurse for this cancer patient while he was receiving a uh, hard to take treatment. And he came down and he was there absorbing every word from the hymnals. And when we finished, he left, went upstairs. Uh, so this atmosphere of unselfish love is contagious for the patients and helps them very much to find out about the motivation and found, found Jesus. Um, there is another case, a lady, she was 30 years old. She had diabetes. She looked like a 60 year old. The doctors was planning to put her on dialysis and she had depression. Very many people uh, have depression people that come to Hergelia, our patients. And you know what happened? God did a miracle in this case too. She stayed there for two sessions for one month. At the end, she left looking like a 30 <coughs> year old. When she came, her face was just pale and she looked very bad. She was heard speaking on the phone with her family. And you know what she said? I found God that I lost when I was a teenager. She found God and that helped her to improve. And before she left, she was so happy. She said, I hardly wait to see the face of my doctors when I go back. The ones that wanted to put me on <coughs> dialysis they, what they will see, what they will say. I will have much to tell them. You see, it's so interesting that in a sanitarium setting, um, God sent the people there. You don't have to spend money to do advertisement and drag the people to come to the sanitarium. God is sending them. The only thing we have to do there is to spend time with them and be Christians. That is the only thing to really be Christian, really to have the character of a Christian. And then these people are the ones asking us and af being after us. So many times they're after us. Please, I want to talk more. I have these questions, I have the other questions. You see, when we do other kinds of evangelism, it's uh, not so. We have to somehow direct the people to come to listen to us. So it's worthy to have sanitariums, it's worthy. I am talking from experience, and my brother is going to tell you the same thing. It's very worthy to have many sanitariums. 
People, I, we have no money to do advertisement. People are our um, our patients are our advertisers. They go home and they share with the relatives this miracle that happened to them. Do I have more time? There is another case. It's not just old people like the general. He was around like 55. So mm -hmm. it's, it's teenagers and children come to Hergelia. We had this family, non-Adventist family. They came to Hergelia. They had two children. And they told us, we brought them with us, but I don't think they are going to stay. Maybe one day they are going to leave. And for the amazement of the parents, the children stayed the whole session, and they were so anxious to learn. You know why? Because we have a medical missionary school there, and the students are involved at the health center. And we appointed two students to be the therapist for these uh, two children. And you know, such an attachment happened there. The children on their own went to the school to listen to the lectures. It was a wonderful. They have had problems. You know, so many children and teenagers are so overweight these days, and they have big health problems. And they were very motivated. Children are the best <laughs> to be motivated, to start young, to change their lifestyle, and um, know Jesus. So that is another case. There, there was a teenager from another country. The parents were exhausted. They sent him to so many places. He had different addictions, and they just didn't know what to do with him, so they sent him to Hergelia. He came there. Again, this young, uh, young man, he befriended the students, and God did a miracle. Now he's a medical missionary. He's a changed man. He was an accomplished uh, cellist. Um, it's so wonderful. He comes sometimes back to Hergelia to visit us. I met this, um, now when, when I was the last time in Romania, I met this um, musician. He plays in the radio um, philharmonic, and he was an alcoholic. He, has, he had different problems, like artists do, and he came to Hergelia. You know, now he's an Adventist. And he comes every few months to learn more, to grow spiritually. It's, it's, my heart just swells when I see this kind of people that meet Jesus and their life is totally changed after uh, coming to Hergelia. I think I will let my brother now, and uh, if you have questions, then we can answer your question. God bless you, and thank you for this opportunity to share with you. She's a better speaker than me. I would have <laughs> stayed and listened. Um, you know, we didn't quite uh, synchronize everything, but I guess you saw from the pictures that we have more than dealing with patients. We have a medical missionary school. We have a K-1-12 school. And uh, we, we are the editors of a monthly health journals with goes in all Romania. We, they, they print, we, this is a joint venture with the, the Adventist uh, publishing house. 
in which we have 50% and they have 50%, which is quite interesting. I don't know where in the world the church partners like that. Um, and then we've been involved also in the, uh, in the scientific world, uh, especially with the Romanian Heart Association. Uh, we prepared this before we knew that there will come the day when uh, the pyramid will be changed with the plate. Uh, but we thought that the plate is somehow more visual and people don't confuse what is up as being more important. You know, the bus always is up. And so they think that up, sugar and salt, and it's, uh, they have to have that, <laughs> cookies and so on. Um, <clears throat> maybe we should... Uh, yeah. Yes, yeah, that, that's what I wanted to... Yeah. Um, one of the advantages of being a chairman of a session is that you get to ask some of the questions. So I'd like to start out asking some of the questions. I don't want to give everybody else a chance. Let me just get this straight. Your father read himself into the church. Is that correct? Yeah. And how did he get the book, Councils and Diet? Uh, he, he stayed, uh, I believe, in a, uh, with a family who were Adventist, and they, or he had a, he had a colleague who, who was Adventist, and this colleague of his gave this book to him. And just by reading that book yeah. alone is how he had this vision for Herdalia. Well, you know, of course, afterwards he read more books, uh, right. but the testimonies and... When he read this book, how old were the two of you? Well, we, I guess we weren't on the scene. <laughs> yeah. no. So he started this in 1993, correct? No. 1998. How many years was this vision in the back of his mind before he could actually start doing something physically with the idea? Well, I, I guess we are talking about uh, 40... 40 years. So for 40 years he yeah. had the idea in his heart that someday this is what I want to see happen in Romania and finally when the chance came he came forward. One of the other questions I had, it's not often that you see a father who has a vision like this that the children want to be part of it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes actually the children run in the other direction. One of the things I want to understand is the family dynamic that created a situation where two of the children are now carrying on that dream? Well, actually, actually, Magdalena had the vision to become a physician, but uh, by the time he was in the high school, my mother got a stroke. And overnight, when she was 16, she found herself, it was a bad stroke. Mm -hmm. She stayed in bed, and it was very bad. And um, so overnight, she, she found herself as the mother of the home. I was five at that time. And so that kind of prevented her to be able to, uh, to learn and to, you know, to have enough time to go to the medical university. Um, and so somehow uh, uh, I was the one who went to the, uh, I became a nurse first and then a physician. And uh, all, all the way we've been working to actually Magdalena was uh, sort of second mother and we've been working very well together. And of course we have another sister, she's living in San Diego, she helps also. So it's uh, yeah, pretty much the family is, is supporting and, and involved. How big was the size of the land that you bought and how much did that cost? Well, in the beginning, uh, it was donated. Uh, we are talking about five or six acres of land. Um, 
you saw a picture with old people. So th those are the people who donated the, donated the land. But ever since we tried to buy, we tried to buy more so that we will protect the area. Um, How many acres? Uh, right now we have about uh, 50, 60 acres. Altogether. And how many buildings do you have on it? It looked like at the beginning this was just a field. Yes. And as you were showing the pictures, it seemed like the buildings were added, added, added. How many uh, buildings do you currently have there? Well, now? probably 12 or something like that. 13. And that came with donation money, or how were you able to do that? Yeah, most most of it, yes, came with a donation. Uh, you know, as. Uh, for the for running the the center, we pretty much produce the the income for the patients, so that helps us to run the center. But for big capital investments, then we, yeah, we like other NGOs right. like non for profits. <coughs> I'm gonna open it up to the floor, please. Oh, did you say you have 13,000 patients? Yes, and I will show you a graphic with uh, with that. Uh, it's uh, 15, 15 years, exactly, yeah. Yeah. So we, we are now around 1,100 patients uh, a year. Well, we, we, we have been doing a lot of that, especially w uh, after we started the, left, uh, the, the medical missionary school. They had uh, all the villages around. They, they go and they work in those villages. Some of the students started some, some humanitarian projects in those villages. So that's, that's really much going on. And there is uh, the, uh, we are very much connected with the church. Uh, we, we participate in most of the health expos they run. And so there is a continuum work in that direction. Yes. Okay. Okay. This quest question was about uh, involvement with evangelistic work. So the question is how, how much staff we have. We have about 45 uh, people. Uh, the, the ratio is, over the year, the ratio was one, one, uh, one to one. Um, uh, because we have about uh, four patients for each uh, nurse or therapist, four or five. And uh, then, you know, it takes uh, supporting, you know, personnel to cook, to do maintenance and so on and so forth. Part of our second session is going to be addressing some of the nuts and bolts of this because one of the things we'd love to do is see this happen again in the United States. A couple of the things that I heard about this presentation, number one, over and over again, the sense of unconditional love. Yeah. And one of the things I think we need to ask in America when people come to our sanitariums 
do they have this sense of unconditional love that makes them want to come back and tell all their friends? Also, the idea of sacrifice, you know, and so um, that idea of sacrifice came across very, very clearly, and the idea of prayer. And I think one of the things that we have to ask ourselves on this side of the Atlantic is how are we doing along those three parameters? It's five minutes to four o'clock. What I'd like to do is take a five-minute break. When we come back, some of the things we want to look at is the nuts and bolts. How do they run this? How do they pay their workers? One of the great problems we have in the United States when you try to do this is people say, um, you're not paying me enough. I'm going to go somewhere else. How have they been able to maintain 45 workers, add on programs, and get people? I'm very interested in hearing about that. Also, they're going to be sharing some of the scientific studies. They are not just doing sanitarium work. They're actually doing publishing and scientific stuff that can be out for the broader community. What are their results? How do they get involved in that? We'll restart again in five minutes. Thank you. This media was produced by Audioverse for Amen, Adventist Medical Evangelism Network. If you would like to learn more about Amen, please visit www.amensda.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.